This is the first episode of the Skelf podcast, and I am Mark Belden. Skelf is to be found at www.skelf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space accessible to anyone everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists, presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is a space, and the visitor is you, on your computer or device. This podcast accompanies the first of a new series of quarterly group exhibitions for Skelf. The show is Our Skins Are Porous Too, and it has been curated by Adam J.B. Walker. For this podcast, I sat down with Adam to talk about the project. But before we get to that, who am I? I'm Mark Belden, and I'm primarily a painter, so how does a painter end up podcasting? They seem like very different things. But in a weird way, I actually think they're related. It's sort of about process. There's something particular about painting. It's a quiet way of making, and it doesn't necessarily involve words or even numbers. Sitting in the studio painting, there's actually a huge amount of time and space to listen to something verbal or narrative, whether it's song lyrics or interviews or audiobooks. It actually feels better to keep other parts of your brain preoccupied while mixing colors or uh, painting little shapes for hours at a time. So in, in taking the leap and actually making a podcast, I was trying to think of the sort of conversations I really love around exhibitions or artworks. I guess it's hearing about the process of making work, even if that's just a decision-making process of an artist or curator. Sometimes you get insights at a formal talk or a seminar, but other times it's just a matter of walking into a small gallery at the right time and running into someone who's worked on the show and asking them questions or just letting them talk. It's nice to see the exhibition from their perspective, and perhaps you end up contemplating different aspects of the show, things you might have just breezed past otherwise. So for this episode, I asked Adam J.B. Walker to take us around the exhibition, sort of a virtual gallery tour. He talks a little about how he came to different works, the text he wrote for the show, uh, the context that he sees the works within. The works cover a huge amount, politically, technologically, geographically. So if we've got anything wrong, or if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at skelf.org.uk. Here is my conversation with Adam. bad at summing up other people's practices, but I guess you're you're a London-based artist and you work across a variety of approaches, media. Yeah, I mean I work with text a lot. Okay. Text in an expanded form, incorporating code and um, data as ideas. I know I suppose I work with text as a sort of a conceptual idea as well as a a medium so I'm interested okay. in, in how I can produce text but I'm also interested in structures of text that constitute the world that I live in the text that I my data trail that I leave or all of our data trails that we leave as we sort of navigate 21st century life I mean that, I, I guess a lot of that is reflected in the, the work that you've 
chosen by other artists to be in the exhibition. Looking across the works, there's sort of like an interconnectedness of labor or inequalities of labor or an element of online communication or the, the interaction so. with technology or yeah I think so I think um what what I'm what's presently sort of very interesting to me and and what I've looked to bring together different perspectives on in the set of works that have been included in the exhibition are this this relation yes labor and and the inequalities of labor and particularly labor that affects the body and the the sort of bodily physical material work and and this and the systems of violence that are that are enacted on bodies to extract that labor in in different ways and and in hugely unequal ways in 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 different parts of society around different parts of the globe and how that sits as this sort of unseen exploitation that underpins this seemingly ephemeral digital networked dematerialized fundamentally text-based yeah. experience of the world that that perhaps as, as someone sat here as an artist in London that that I either experience or I'm told I should experience then looking at the text you've written that will sort of form the introduction page or the the page where you come to the other works like the, I felt you'd really within that text emphasize the, the sort of visceral the, the the bodily side of it was that quite important to well I think I, th- I think it, yes I think I mean I don't I mean that text which it's doing I mean it's doing multiple things I hope it has its own content of course but it's it, but it's also looking to work as a sort of architecture for the exhibition and it's looking and it, and it needs to be read in relation to the context in which the the the, the viewer or the the audience is is encountering the exhibition and and I'm very aware that that is through this screen perhaps in this sort of isolated on their on their own dispersed anywhere which is the nature of of of, um, of having the online project space having scelf set up in yeah. such a way which is hugely interesting and is what the exhibition is looking to explore in some ways but it 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 leaves this sort of visceral bodiliness feeling quite distant and okay and it, i suppose in a, in a in a sense of of what i was just saying before about sort of maybe sort of revealing or or um or making more tangible this this bodiliness that underpins that surface. That that's what I wanted this text to do quite a lot. So okay. it is this sort of digital code coming across this 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 screen with nothing beneath it, nothing behind it. But it itself is seeking to sort of explore metaphorically somewhat some of what might underpin that. Both okay. sort of in terms of labour and, and violence and the body, both sort of as a sort of psychological sense of how we how we understand ourselves, but also quite like physically and, and politically yeah. and materially in terms of where things are happening. Well, I guess I don't know if this is like a fair reading, but I thought between the the text and the works that they all you can fall into very like routine relationships with technology or very like un possibly unthinking and then they all sort of disrupt that 
in a way. Is Absolutely. That, yeah. I mean, I think there's been... I've been reading some stuff recently about this routine relationship with technology. I mean, you know, things like Google and, and Facebook and it becomes like yeah. a de facto public service. It's just, it's where we go to find information and we read it as, as being um, a, a, an accurate map or just a system of organisation. Yeah. We forget that actually Google is a capitalist corporation which has like proprietary algorithms which are revealing to us a, a image of the the information that's on the internet that isn't just an accurate representation it is we all know about the sort of ranking systems but even what is findable at all is quite structured so it's not this neutral thing there is this um, an algorithm essentially is controlling increasingly controlling our thought in some ways if we think of like where we get our knowledge from well I was sort of thinking of as we like going through the show almost in a like a, a kind of virtual walkthrough because yeah. I always find that like, it's really nice to go to a gallery and yeah. like, have the opportunity to have the, the curator take you through and I thought well maybe as we're talking about Google I would start with the like the ungoogleable work the, um, the uh, name surname do you want to talk a little yeah, about who well, name surname is well like, I suppose in in, in, in curating the show, I, I wanted to... There were specific artists and, and artworks that I immediate, that immediately sprung to mind and I wanted to bring into it. But I also wanted to expand out the network. So I put out an open call for to, through some of my networks of, of artists who might want to become in, involved. And I, I actually quite like the fact that some of these artists are people I've never met. And name, surname is one of those. So, okay. so a few... Um, a few months ago when I put out the call I received an email it's quite confusing to you know in your inbox to sort of see an email that comes in from name surname like you say it's quite a quite a simple thing to do but quite I think it's quite a conceptually strong and quite a committed carrying through of an idea that's this isn't just sort of a person who's exploring the idea of uh, what would it be like to be called name surname but they've actually legally gone and changed their name which I think is quite shows a, a good commitment to the concept, <laughs> and um, and to like almost I think like, this is like a, a, it becomes a sort of life performance. It becomes a life performance because you're never going to be yes. without the, the implications of of that. Exactly, and you know it's funny. It, it, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of like what the, you know people's immediate response to what you've changed your name to name surname that is is to laugh at the ridiculousness of it, but. It is funny and it is amusing, but it also sort of does shine a light, in a sense, on this sort of in, sort of pseudo personal interaction is with algorithms and bots through through these um, whether it be a web form or a, or an artificial intelligence system in some form where there are there are sort of parameters around what is expected and you know there's fundamentally there's an expectation that you have a name and a surname what if your name and surname aren't name and surname? It starts to sort of mess with the systems of what is the parameter and what is the content that fits within it. And the conversation, you know, it is a live performance. And, you know, the, the documentation of this interaction that he's had with his bank trying to um, get a bank card in his, uh, with his new name is, is hilarious. But it, it shows some of the... the, the 
it has this element of humour, but it, but yeah, yeah it is yeah. it is part of like you say a, a life performance. I mean, he, when he initially got in touch with me and I received this email that sort of immediately sort of confused me somewhat, and then I read it and understood, and you know I was immediately thought this is this is great. This would fit really well within the exhibition. But my my first question back to him was okay, what but what what is the actual non object that is going to sit within the show, and yeah. that's and and. And then he proposed this documentation of this performance. Yeah, which, this well, like an actual interaction with. Yeah, this so it's one. And, it's one moment. Um, yeah, within what a lifetime imagine, of. <laughs> which be quite a challenging. Um, I can imagine he has quite a lot of um, having to explain and and yeah. repeat um, the reasoning behind yeah. what he's doing. But. And then staying kind of in the very much in the. Well, maybe they're all in the digital world, but I, I was thinking about uh, Elliot Jones. Elliot's an old friend of mine. We used to we used to, used to share a studio actually, and I, so I, I know his work fairly well. And Church of Bitcoin is I saw the work. A few okay, because it was presented in a physical space. Exactly. So uh, it was a two or three years ago, I think. It yeah. was a, a physical installation whereby you had this printer that was sort of elevated up on the the the, the, cent- the center of the far wall of the gallery space which was printing out the um the blockchain record the, the actual blockchain record of bitcoin from its origins mm-hmm. and so it was spewing out this this stream of pa- of paper which was piling up which was and then and then everything else in the gallery was sort of orientated towards that there were okay. and there was this and then there's there's like the audio exactly. So there was a sort of a disembodied choir, I suppose, singing, yeah. singing out the uh, the blockchain. Well, we could yeah. we could go to uh, yeah. we'll play a bit of that. Yeah. The Times, third January, two thousand and nine. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Cleanse me from all regulation. Free me from control. Welcome me into Bitcoin space. Call me by number. Individual, but unified. Connected with all users. I acknowledge one Bitcoin space in blockchain through the sacrifice of physical money. Make my true value grow. I believe in Satoshi Nakamoku author of the white paper and the central sacrament of interpersonal transaction through blockchain with blockchain and in blockchain in the unity of bitcoin space through the holy sacrament of interpersonal transaction for us and for our transactions the nonce is revealed it is verified by SHA-256 and becomes a new block its value will descend in glory and Bitcoin space will have no end. To use the example we mentioned earlier, unlike the, the the algorithm that Google uses to to sort information on the internet, whereby we 
have complete access to the content, but the, the, the algorithmic system that is presenting that content is completely opaque. With Bitcoin, we've in a sense got the opposite, where the blockchain, which is the, the which is what constitutes Bitcoin to sort of to have a Bitcoin, you have to have that blockchain, mm-hmm. but your ownership of it is also written into it. So it sort of constitutes what it is. It constitutes its sort of past, and it yeah. constitutes its ownership, and it itself is the medium of exchange. So all these things are collapsed into one. But the one thing that isn't there is an understanding of externally from another perspective who owns or what is being exchanged for that value. So. Yeah. It's sort of an inversion. The, the the code is visible, but what the code points towards is completely unknowable. It's, yeah. it's in a sense, it's the opposite of what PageRank does for Google. I was also I was also wondering about because in a way of uh, of the works, it almost seems the most far away from the bodily or the physical. But then I suppose there is something to giving yourself over to like. A, a church experience or yeah the, it, is, the, it is the most it is the furthest away from the bodily and the material um, at the same time there's if you're going to engage with it spiritually there's a bit mm-hmm. of handing yourself over to it absolutely and obviously the work is is going to be quite differently experienced in the scalf yeah, context in this yeah. show where it's going to be through the screen which is going to take it more in that direction inevitably but yeah. it the physical Installation of it included sort of um, pews almost, or okay. like to sort of kneel yeah. within to, to look towards this altar. So, there were the, I suppose yeah. a, a, a common trope within lots of religions and within the way that we experience or, or engage with ideas of, of the sort of it could be utopian, could be dystopian understanding of technology at present is this idea that we can escape the body and the body is sort of something in the past, something messy, something that is no longer needed and we can move out mm. of it into some either spiritual or technological superior realm to, to be within. And I think that's what this work is in some ways commenting upon. And then a bit of a jump, but I guess it's numbers. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Olga Fedorova. So who's an artist from Ukraine, and the work is Three Billboards? Yeah, I've spent some time in Ukraine in the last few years for various artistic projects, and I, I wanted to, um, there were a few works of, that I sort of encountered while I was over there that I wanted to include in this, and, and Three Billboards was one of those. It's, it's a video, a documentation yeah, yeah. Of, a, of a physical public installation in a sense but, yeah. you know, that Olga what she'd done is she had um, bought or, or rented three billboards yeah, in the advertising space exactly on the main road into Kharkiv which is a city in towards the eastern side of Ukraine not too far from the Russian border and so you see this I find them, there's something quite interesting in sort of the language and the symbols and of obviously in Ukraine you see all these other billboards and there's this sense of wild rampant capitalism of sort of the, this sort of what otherwise could be quite a, mm. a, a sort of a beautiful landscape on either side of this road being filled with these adverts for different products and then you have these three that are plain white but with these simple numbers and perhaps there's something interesting or not in the, in the number being um, something that... Some of the other billboards that flash up at the beginning of the video, a lot of them are in 
Cyrillic? Exactly, they're in Cyrillic. And, and, and then it was like, you're sort of going through, and as, as someone who doesn't read Cyrillic, it's this it's impenetrable code to me. It's almost a, a more broadly adopted code. It's yeah, it's numbers a, that... Uh, and then you're bringing it in. I, I mean, I think it points towards the, um, the financial transaction of the renting of these billboards, which yeah. is such a sort of procedural thing. Anyone, I would imagine, it's, it's purely going to be market orientated yeah. whoever bids and buys the, the period of ownership of that billboard they can display whatever they want more or less yeah. and yeah these numbers that just repeat endlessly and go nowhere And but this very specific site you know you have this strong sense of like you say with the Cyrillic alphabet with the snowy landscape being somewhere other than here it's not clear necessarily where it is but it's somewhere in Eastern Europe or, or yeah, Eurasia yeah and- the former Soviet exactly, territory which has a has a has a has a strong sense of otherness to someone sat as as a sort of to use as a possibly problematic term Westerner to be, to yeah. be sat here seeing that, but then it's being brought, you know, that very located site is then brought into this space of of anywhereness and access from anywhere in this, yeah. in this digital. Yeah. You know, it's a busy road. I think it, if you. Driving on on say the I don't know the M4 into London and you had three big billboards that just went three two one you would it probably, you know you might thinking it was a, it was a viral advertising campaign or something that was yeah. going to manifest into something later but to to have it just yeah. going nowhere I well, think it's quite yeah. interesting and then but and then in the video documentation it yeah but I guess to, there's obviously these these two very different kind of audience or, or Presentations. Very <laughs> the yeah. one the driver who may not have any context of what it is, and totally. then and then if you find it online, then it's you know relates back to her other practice. And yeah, her, being in this show, it certainly sets it in a very different context to to that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's quite quite a quiet, subtle piece. And another one was that I wanted to talk about was uh, Shiraz who's London-based, but um, Israeli, orig- uh, born yeah. in Israel. And so in the show, it'll be like a series of photographs of yeah, the landscape. It's, um, it's a work called Mirage, which is, um, obvi- I mean, a mirage, obviously, we, we know is sort of seeing something that isn't there, this, this sort of um, optical like, thing that happens yeah. in, the, in the brain in the desert. But it also... Was the, it was the name of the the, um, the principal fighter jet that the Israeli Air Force were using in during the Six Day War. Yeah, which yeah. is what yeah. the work links to. The images are sort of um, are quite intriguing and, and can pull the eye in. But then the sort of context around the images is is yeah. what I find particularly interesting and what what made me want to include them in the exhibition, which is this. This fascinating idea that these were sites which were consecrated to be used as burial grounds, essentially, for the mass casualties that the that the Israeli state foresaw were going to, were going to be incurred through the the Six Day yeah. War. When I guess to I don't know the Six Day War it was nineteen sixty seven, and it was it, I think the speed of Israel's victory surprised all sides uh, <laughs> I yeah it's exactly. a fair way to say it yeah and yeah so they'd been anticipating more casualties than mm. they actually incurred so yeah. there's 
But I think the work, exactly, and they, I think they sort of, they had all these much larger Arab armies around them and they, they really defeated them all. And, but I think the work brings together this interesting assemblage of ideas of nationalism, religion, sight, the, the physicality of the body encapsulated yeah. in death. And it and and do you know are the are all of these spaces still left aside or set aside now? I don't know to what extent they're set aside. I think they are sort of quite invisible unless you sort of happen to know. I mean, she she she, she says that there are very few. There were very few witnesses or, or, or people to sort of hold that memory. It's sort of fairly forgotten about. Largely. Mm. They're not. They're not made public in a, in a in a big way it's sort of a sort of quite brushed aside kind of thing that was yeah. never used and isn't really acknowledged particularly so I thought I might move from something very quiet to, to something quite noisy and the uh, Timothy Capes piece make your admin noisy as hell is that yeah correct and I guess we could have a clip of that yeah. to introduce it. I liked his phrase that he said that it came from a series of reflective listening sessions I did in libraries and cafes. And that, that feels like, especially in London at the moment, mm-hmm. that's a very like, everyday experience of watching other people work and the sort of I think so. the sounds they generate while they work. And I think that's the interesting thing for me about this piece, because it, it points towards what... There is still a lot of material physical labour that goes on in terms of building and maintaining the equipment and machinery and systems that we all live within. But often that is, as an artist living in London, or as a, as a, as a creative worker or whatever, like, yeah. um, that is something that feels quite distant. It's either in another part of... You sit, you sit in London here and you've got the city as this edifice, which is all people sat in front of computer screens these days, and you've got... Basically, everyone sat in front of the computer yeah. screens. Well, I think it's more very much like, like we're in my studio at the moment, and if I look to the window opposite, there's people sat at exactly. computer screens, and I can't really tell whether they're they could be designing a building yeah. or a pamphlet. I exactly. don't really. There's a real and disconnect that, from the outside of it. There's a sense. There's a sense of like that's the the optimum, perhaps freelance, fluid, creative, opportunistic post-Fordist worker who can sort of just jump in and contribute their intellectual productivity to, yeah. to a task. And it gets read as not being this physical bodily thing. It's read as this like quite clean thing that's very separate from, from that kind of work. And then, but of course, especially if we think about things like, I mean, a call centre would be a, a good example. Yeah. Like 
these, in a sense, are they're not that different necessarily from factories. So what 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 Timothy's done, where he's sort of really emphasising the the bodiliness, the the yeah. work of spending eight hours a day sat hunched over a computer, isn't. I mean, it's not the same as being down a coal mine. Of course not. It's nothing like that. But it's it's also has physical implications. Yeah. And and the oh, and the idea is that like as you. So if you typed and used the keyboard, the keyboard would... Yeah, of... so what he's done is he's, he's recorded these sort of grunts and groans and sighs of exasperation, and, and his background is in, in sound, so he has then s- spliced up these elements of, of actual recorded sound and somehow mapped them onto his laptop keyboard. So now when he types on his laptop, I mean, presumably he can, um, he can turn the sound on or something <laughs> when, he, when he wants to, but he, he can go either for his own personal listening or, or perhaps go into one of these sites, like a cafe or a library or wherever, yeah. and as he types, as he works, as he does that work, this cacophony of sighs and grunts and, and um, sounds of exasperation yeah. and, and, and work in that context are played out by his computer. Yeah. It's a consequence of um, the, the sheer vast expense of having a, a private space to work in in a city yeah. like London so we're all put into this close proximity where we have to listen to <laughs> we all try and put on this performance of, of being silent but actually if you listen yeah. closely there's, there's all this I, yeah I did think it would like it would really as a you know if it were widely adopted it would really it would change a, a we work space really that's like, true yeah. quite done <laughs> quite radically I guess someone else is, so, so Timothy is sort of working with sound or back and forth between music and kind of art practice, but also Bogdan Moroz. Yeah. It's uh, The Mountain Stands High, which is, it's, it's two different Ukrainian songs with the same title. Yeah. And, and they're sort of overlaid and he's this sort of single figure against a backdrop of these enormous new developments exactly. in it's, Kiev. It's in the outskirts of Kiev where it's filmed, and it's, it, it's, there's, there's this, I mean, people, people there call it wild capitalism, you know, arguably all capitalism is wild, I suppose, but what, what's yeah. happened there is you have these huge new property developments, you know, as obviously post-1991 there's been various booms and crashes, but a lot of people looking to buy their own property for the first time, yeah. so, and people have sort of speculated on that. And so you have these huge developments being thrown up, often not particularly well connected into the centre of the city or jobs or anything. And, and, and this is an example of one which has been built and is largely uninhabited. It's this ghost town where there's oh, yeah. these sort of canyon-like walls of flats are there. You know, we used to stories in London of sort of apartments being just bought as these privately held sources like stores of wealth which then increase and never even lived in but become this commodity of exchange and and speculation I think my understanding I'm sure some of that is the same in somewhere like Kiev but maybe I was just sort of um, maybe within the context of the show I was just reading it as again like sort of this like one body against the large-scale development or that that kind of um, and there's this. I'm not, I'm not sure whether that went into the original work, but I was just thinking. I think the, it does. I think yeah. it does. And there's, you know, his 
the way he's this figure all in black, sort of being filmed from quite a low angle in quite a lot of the shots, sort of coming up in the very centre of the screen. I think it connects to some of the um, the ideas of a ceremony or a um, or a religious act. Yeah, sort of yeah. a priest-like figure almost. I think it links to this idea in that's perhaps in say Church of Bitcoin, where there's this sense of like trying to escape or transcend or go beyond a context. Next, I wanted to talk about uh, Naomi Ellis, and it's the piece is called The Tourist Administrator of Pitcairn Island. When you first showed me this piece, I was like, oh, what is Pitcairn Island? I don't... <laughs> it was like, I know the name, I just can't give it, like, context. I guess it's, like, the, the island settled by the, the mutineers from the bounty, like, mutiny on the bounty. And I guess, like, almost before getting to the piece, I was thinking about... There's this whole, I guess their mission was like to take breadfruit from Tahiti to the West Indies. And it was sort of this sort of British Empire Mm -hmm. (laughs) scheme. And, well, I think sort of what then happened is quite well known or the subject of a couple of movies (laughs) at least. But yeah, I was thinking about, maybe then was thinking about just Pitcairn Island in the, the context of work. You know, or labor, and that this idea of just oh, we'll take some plants from here and we'll put it there. That probably mm-hmm. sounded like a very easy idea in an office in London. Where but then it, it an kind of on one side of the planet may as well be one on another anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, oh no, it's not going to be like months and months on a ship and everybody mm-hmm. like disgruntled. <laughs> and the image, as far as I can tell, is like Bounty Bay which is when, when they settled on the island and decided they could stay there, they um, like scuttled and burnt the remains of the boat so yeah. they wouldn't be found. <laughs> so that is like under the water in the picture, yeah. or it's like literally kind of beneath the surface in the yeah, image. Which is interesting. I suppose this yeah. is, you know, it points back towards, you know, we're, taught, we're, we're, you know, we're dispersed at our screens encountering this exhibition now via this interconnected global network this was a previous interconnected interconnected global network things took months rather than milliseconds but yeah it was a this this idea of like someone sat in an office in london could be like just notionally making decisions which had these effects that rippled out and affected places all around the the world it's it's not that different in some ways. Possibly Naomi's interest was more in the, the current. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in the conversation... That's remoteness re- or... In the conversation dis- that's recounted, I mean, there's this, there's, you know, there's this discussion of, like, the, the, the lack of connectivity, the way it is this 
place that that is where the internet is very expensive, very slow yeah. relative to maybe what we take for granted elsewhere. And I suppose a sort of romantic idea, perhaps that this is, that the image maybe suggests too that this is a sort of paradise where one can escape the the modern world or the yeah. postmodern world but but what that means in terms of what is it like to be in this remote place of, of real in some ways isolation yeah and I mean she uh, also is it Melva the administrator mm. she also talks about there's often like oh sorry I didn't get your email I've been like out working like because I because I, I think currently there are about maybe 50 people on mm-hmm. the whole island. So that, that idea that, you know, that you would almost, you might have multiple jobs as a resident just to keep things To keep functional. things going in such a small society. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I guess that, that sort of the expense and the difficulty of like internet connectivity with connectivity is... There's this sort of aligning of the economic infrastructural reality of the creation of this piece that is basically spanning opposite sides of the planet and what we sort of the way we sort of forget about the 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 technological and economic implications of that because it's just has become reduced to sort of something instantaneous and something free in in the sort of connected world. No, I found it like like listening to it really took apart my like mm. assumptions about that. That oh, wherever you are, mm. it'll just something will bounce off of yeah. a satellite and so land on con- your computer. It's in, the, it's in the content, but it's also in the in the economics of the production of the work. In yeah, this sort of not knowing. And then, I guess as the piece goes on, there's she's well from the beginning has the image and she's mm. manipulating clay on a tabletop yeah the image is being projected onto clay and you see these hands which presume are, are Naomi's which are are working into this clay and and creating these um, shadows and, 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 and deformations of the image as, as we see it which has this inference of this sense of physical touch obviously and bodily fleshy materials mm-hmm. being being sort of strongly grasped and manipulated which is so radically different from this trans global exchange that's also going on but then perhaps hints to hints to the, the materiality of work that is required there close to home in a, in a place where you have 50 people living on an island yeah and, you know you've got to get food on the table and yeah Sort of I'm sure there's a point where she's oh people are out yeah. like fishing or exactly. <laughs> repairing there's rooms or more, like it's like there's much more immediate somatic concerns yeah. or even if you are living in this technological world you need to like maintain connect like actual physical connections yeah, and exactly. keep things dry yeah. your computer dry and like do your laundry the, and... yeah and I, I felt like also the the sort of the hand manipulation felt like it kind of tied it back to the kind of your text and the larger Absolutely. themes of the yeah. show. Yeah. Hi, Naomi. My apologies. I did receive your previous email. This has been an incredibly busy time on Pitcairn. We have been inundated by tourists. The last one's leaving here on Sunday this week. I don't think I can adequately describe to you what an impact that has on our small community. 
We have three weeks before it starts all over again in January and continues until the end of the season in April. So I plead busyness for letting this one drop through the cracks. What I can do is post your message on the public notice board to see if anyone wishes to participate. Would that be acceptable? I would like to give everyone the opportunity to participate. If that doesn't work, I can send you a photo of the horizon. How expensive is the internet? Well, last month my bill was over $400 for just over 3 gigabytes of data usage. I took work home, which is why I exceeded 3Gs, and I won't be doing that again. We've already accepted that we can't spend time on the internet looking at family videos or YouTube clips. Anyway, I'll print out your message and post it today. Best regards, Melva. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess in that, in that piece there's sort of like, there's definitely like a very particular like colonial story mm -hmm. in the background. And, and then I was thinking that's, that's, that's very much in the background of Alessandro uh, Farini's Radio Ghetto Relay. Mm. So it's a video piece, and the audio consists of clips from Radio Ghetto Voce Libere, which mm. was a radio station run in the by mostly West African migrant workers in basically I don't know how to <laughs> like a shanty or like yeah, a kind of the um, the part of the part the place where they had sort of for economic and, and, and political social reasons been pushed to, to live together. Yeah, exactly. And so the audio is that, but then I guess there was possibly a, like a sensitivity about identifying like particular places or people. So the, the images of the video are, that have come from, well, back to Google, <laughs> they have come from like Google Earth and Google Street View. Yeah. And it's sort of vaguely in the area, but not, not pinpointing it. Exactly. And there are these interesting sort of elements where sort of boundaries and, and, um, and, and divisions sort of crop up in the, in the footage as well, which obviously has a, has a clear link back to, yeah. to this, this boundary yeah. that's stretched across the Mediterranean. Sama. Sí. O una demanda. Oh, dime. <laughs> ¿Cuál es la prima parola que hay en parato en italiano? Yo. Eh, pomodoro. 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 Because <laughs> I guess he's, he talks about like the first word, first Italian word he learned was pomodoro, mm -hmm. like tomato, and that he had seen it on a can in a food store in Mali, I think. Yeah, I was just thinking about the kind of like circulation of that, yeah. you know, and then to end up, um, and I guess that, that's the, brings us back within that, that segment, it's like, oh, what are you doing now? And like, well, I'm like harvesting Pomodoro in Italy. Yeah. But, but then also even that, like, you know, the tomato is like an imported Vegetable. Like yeah, well, it came from, it came from the Americas, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, originally, I so. think, I think, yeah, like yeah. South America and then, yeah developed by the Aztecs and it's like, exactly. sort of like oh that's just like this kind of yeah it's just sort of like keying into histories and then these, these, these networks of exchange and, and power which are then sort of retrospectively projected as being natural and good and then other ones that are, are rejected as, as being something to 
something to stop. And it's all it's all written from from these positions of power, like those retrospective designations that are put upon it. I think there's something in you know this 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 broadcasting of this sort of connecting together into a sort of into a community through through radio. Yeah. And something. I mean, it's a sort of archaic technology in some ways, but it's a, also a really accessible technology, and it's a technology that that and that sort of allows for connection that that can't. That's, it's sort of subversive in the way that it, it allows to sort of connect without being tracked through through all the sort of surveillance that that, that yeah. engaging through. It's just the like the airwaves rather than exactly. The internet. I think sometimes with pieces like this, people can like play identity politics sure, or like yeah, yeah. it's a there's a real I mean I, I think there's a sensitivity to how like how mm. it's presented and the voices and I, I did get this I think I clicked through to like the radio ghetto they had a little like blog or a website mm-hmm. and I mean I think they were quite keen for things to to get out there yeah and I think of all the people like this it really made me perhaps aware of like inequalities of labor like not that far from here Mm -hmm. you know within Europe you know before watching the piece I'd have a very like rustic idea about (laughs) what Italian tomato farming is Mm -hmm. it's I wouldn't have any picture of sort of agri-mafia or like these really horrible working conditions or um the idea that you know you can have you know within a society where people nominally sort of have rights and protections that you can take a population and and not provide those like the well, there's so much diff- there's i think there's this this sort of this sense of hegemonic structures it might be the state or it might be a corporation or 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 a mafia where, mm. where from an abstracted position away from the individuals who are sort of physically at stake it's so easy to sort of segregate out and, and create these exceptions and zones and, yeah. and and manage people ultimately in a way that forgets about the fact that they are people and 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 makes it all about this sort of units of expense and productivity and yeah, yeah ultimately it's, it's premised on this huge hypocrisy of a in this case of a of an economic system that it's completely reliant on this poorly paid migrant labour. Yeah. Well, in, I in mean, a political context that that sort of would rather they die, literally, sometimes trying to get here than 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 get here. Well, I mean, I, th- I think all of this is very present in the UK. The discussions around yeah. Brexit and yeah. things, and that there's a fear of migration when the system is built on migration and mm-hmm. it just feels like you know how yeah how do you rec- reconcile those two ideas to yourself I, I guess yeah. like... there are these images that are presented as being these these realities that hide systems of profound inequality mm. behind them often ultimately and an inequality that is really viscerally enacted on the body you know often a body elsewhere or a body that is that is made invisible probably yeah. you know often a female body or a or a or black or brown body or, or 
or a, or a working class body, whatever, whatever working class means these days. But um, but it's um, yeah. Also, this radio station also probably feels like, you know, if you were there, this is the best moment of mm. this is this exactly. is doing something yeah. that sort of subverting the expectations this is doing something you want to do like this is communicating with other people this is um, yeah and then I guess sort of more generally after looking at the work specifically I was wondering um, because you've spent a lot of time recently sort of working on different projects in Ukraine and Turkey do you think that changed or shaped your approach to to some of these things or yeah I think it has I mean I, things like my experience in Ukraine I think part of talking thinking about things like in the abstract and thinking about thing like like, like I've been discussing the sort of um, the abstract image of this ephemeral digitized life that is sort of valorized and ignoring what's beneath that I think if I think about the time I've spent in Ukraine, I think this made me reflect a lot on, on the artist residency, which is a sort of parallel of that in a sense of like the artist, this idea, this sort of quite very romantic notion of the artist going into a new site and, and sort of being able to sort of take off from their life and be there and, yeah. and, and, and sort of reflect on it and offer something insightful through that experience. It, for me, it's quite problematic in terms of the presumptions it makes of this figure of the artist and also the relationship it sets up between artist and site which is in some ways quite asymmetric okay yeah and I'm and it sort of puts these temporal boundaries of like you're there between this time and this time and I suppose one of the reasons there's these works by friends of mine from Ukraine in the show is because I sort of, you know, my engagement with Ukraine is, is well, it's not, sorry, I don't have an engagement with Ukraine. I have an engagement with people yeah. that I have connected with and formed these relationships with. And it's not about sort of an abstract site of Cyrillic alphabets and speculative tau blocks and things. It's an, it's, it's an engagement between... Uh, like found in, in conversation and relationship between me and some people I happened to meet while I was while I was yeah, there and yeah. and that doesn't just end when I'm not there and these these so easy to communicate through these 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 technological networks now this relationship continues and and, and it continues through to having these works in the show so so there's there's something that that's just one example I'm well yeah. to connect it into into the show and then Turkey you know we've just been talking about um, migration in, in, in Turkey I I, I, um, I spent time very near the Syrian border and was creating I ended up creating some work that reflected on that and didn't sorry reflected on on a range of things yeah. around sort of my my position as an artist being there being someone from Europe with regard to Turkey and migration and Syria and um, repression and, and censorship of, of free speech in, in, in Turkey, which I think certainly has sort of attuned my thinking to to some of the ideas that, that a work like Radio Ghetto Relay yeah. throws up. Yeah. And then more generally, I suppose, across places like Turkey and in Ukraine, this, this outsourcing of labour. 
away to these distant places. And I suppose, you know, we historically think of um, production of objects, you know, a car factory or a, or a, a um, yeah, a, a factory making something mm-hmm. being, being outsourced to somewhere distant where labour is cheaper. But this, this sort of n- more recent nearshore offshoring of labour where it's actually skilled labour, it's really skilled digital labour in coding and um, creating architectural renderings and things that is being done increasingly in places like Ukraine. Poss- I, 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 mm-hmm. I know it's being done in places like Ukraine, it may also be being done in Turkey, I'm sure it is, I, I don't know quite so much in, about that context. But, you know, and then there's this sort of like, actually it makes sense for it to be there. Labour's cheaper, but there's a, these, these other material spatial things at play of actually sort of things like the time zone being fairly close. So you can have this sort of yeah, interaction yeah. With, with an office in, in London or Paris or wherever as well. If I take something like this, this, this edifice that is the global interconnected neoliberal capitalist technologically infrastructure system that that I am faced with in life and which I can't not engage through and with, then if I want to make my own work or curate an exhibition like, like this one that, that seeks to, in some small way, question aspects of that, then there may be ethical concerns in doing that. But but there's also a huge ethical concern in doing nothing, I would say. And there's, a, yeah. there's a huge sort of political impotency in doing nothing. And, and there's, there's... Well, that, I mean, that's what I felt with, like, Radio Get a Relay. That they, it brought up all of these issues, but, like, to not bring them up is more problematic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there has, to be, there's, there has to be an awareness of, of subjectivity, of privilege, of, of broader context, and, and a sort of continual reflection on those things. But I think there's also a... There's also a need for for action, and I think I've been th- I've been thinking a lot about um, the word care, and I think increasingly I'm thinking that care for others is is like a fundamentally vital thing. But but at the same time, carelessness. I think we need. I think I want to operate with both care and carelessness. Care in the sense of caring for others. Carelessness in the sense of of not being constrained in action and taking risks. So that's all for the first episode of the Skelf Podcast. I'd like to thank Adam J.B. Walker for taking the time to sit down and talk us through the exhibition. And I'd also like to thank all the artists in the show, uh, name surname Elliot Jones, Olga Fedorova, Shir Raz, Timothy Cape, Bogdan Moroz, Naomi Ellis, and Alessandra Farini. The show, Our Skins Are Porous Too, will be on the Skelf website from the 16th of January to the 16th of April 2019, and archived thereafter. Music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. We also heard audio extracts of pieces by Elliot Jones, Timothy Cape, Bogdan Moroz, Naomi Ellis, and Alessandra Ferrini. I am Mark Belden. I'd like to send a big thank you to Claire and everyone behind the scenes at Scalf. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Scalf is at www.scalf.org.uk, and all the past exhibitions are archived there. 
You can email us at podcast at Listen or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Episode two will accompany the next exhibition in April 2019. See you then. Thank you.